If you're a goalkeeper for football, or even if you've been around the beautiful game for any length of time, then the phrase, Jesus saves, has special significance. Hello, everyone. This is Reb Brad, and you're listening to the Soccer Chaplains United podcast from the Touchline. Today, I'm really pleased to have with me special guest, Adam Smith. Adam is a former pro player and coach. He's currently the sporting director for the USL League One team, Central Valley Fuego FC. This week, in part one of a four-part series, Adam Smith chronicles his footballing start as a son of English professional footballer and goalkeeper Graham Smith and his early days with the academy at Everton. Part one takes us up to Adam sharing about how much of his early days and playing days were without Jesus. So hang on, we meet Adam Smith right after this. a little off foot thinking he's going to go far post not strong enough with his right hand whips that one in far post almost made him in and they have he has the hat trick the second in his career the third of the night the hat trick hero talked about you're not going to be able to sustain that kind of pressure to the corner goes towards the near post and you're in the angle and what a goal what a goal Adam Smith, welcome to the podcast today. Uh, I am just excited and glad that you are here. This is awesome. It's it's an honor to be here. Privilege. So thank you very much for for asking me. Yeah, Adam, we've known each other for a number of years, and I I want to go back to the beginning, the beginning of your story for you. So maybe talk a little bit about growing up in in England and and where you were born and kind of all all those kinds of things and then let's get to your first academy days at Everton. Well, I was actually I was actually born um in the south of England and I don't I don't tell too many people this because I kind of grew up in the northwest, you know, I, I consider Liverpool as, as my home. My family are from there. But my dad was a was a, a professional soccer player and you know, he, we moved a lot. So, you know, mm. he played for West Brom in the old first division which is now the Premier League and he played for Cambridge United and and uh, Notts County and Colchester and so he had a lot of a lot of games and we moved a lot so I my my memories you know of growing up really um, you know are from are from the northwest of England I mean I, I have good memories from from came from his time at Cambridge as well but uh, uh, and then he, he he became he became a director. He went he went to Chelsea. So we did actually move back down south again, and he would commute to London. So I, you know, as I say, I have, I have good memories from there. But yeah, I really grew up in the northwest of England and uh, in a footballing family, and um, you know, tried to follow in my in my father's footsteps as as best as I could. Now, dad dad was a goalkeeper, correct? Correct. He was. He was another small goalkeeper, just like me. So, I don't <laughs> think. I don't think if either of us was trying to play right now, neither of us would get it. Would get a contract anywhere because we're we're, be- we're I'm barely touching six feet, and he was five ten and a half. So, uh, <laughs> but if well, you're, if you're good enough, you're big enough. That's right. That's right. There's there's been some great small keepers uh, in history. Um, but uh, and it's wingspan and, and agility and and other things too. Maybe we can dive into that a little bit. But uh, so so you start with Everton. Uh, where was Dad at Chelsea at, at the time? Yeah, I think he was actually. Um, I, I think he was, or he may have he may have become an agent by them. It was a gentleman called Frank McClintock, who's a who's an ex 
they won the double with Arsenal and him and him and Frank went into business before there were any agents. He was probably what they were probably one of the first agents. And um he went he found a niche in the market and so he went into that. But I had uh I had moved to my grandparents uh in Liverpool and and was um you know, a schoolboy uh, with Everton in the academy and playing in their under seventeens. Neville Southall was the was the main goalkeeper at the time, so I got to I, I got to work under him and Gordon Banks, famous England goalkeeper, would mm-hmm. would come in once a week, and you didn't have full time goalkeeping coaches in those days, mm. so they would they would bring in Gordon Banks once a week to work with the goalkeepers, and it was fantastic. You know, it was a it was it was a, it was a great experience, but. I, I wasn't good enough, really, at the end of the day, if I'm honest, to um, to break into a to a, a, a top flight team. And, um, you know, I found myself uh, dotting around a little bit. And um, where I, I did really well is was playing non-league. I mean, if you if you know the structure in England, non-league football is is is, you know, is big. There's a, there's a big pyramid in non-league and, and you, you know, you get paid as a, as a semi-pro in, in there. And, um I was always told that you've got to go to university. That was what was always told to me by, by my dad. So I was mm-hmm. at Wigan at the time, which was a third division team. You know, realized I wasn't going to play for Everton. So I went to Wigan and they offered me a, a, a very small contract at the age of 18 years old, um, of which most of my money would have been eaten up uh, by my landlady. You know, the digs I would have had to pay for uh, mm-hmm. to be by the by the training ground and what have you. So, but it was, it was, no, you need to go to college. So I, I went to college, studied a business and sports degree at Manchester Metropolitan University. I would train uh, one day a week with, with Crew Alexander, which was a lower, lower division team, but full-time team. But I would train with them as a part-time player, played some games in their reserves and their youth team. And um, then I would play non-league while I was at university. So I'd play a really good standard of non-league football. Um and that's really where you know a lot of my, my attention was gained in, in, in doing well at non-league level, and and then um, say say a little bit more, Adam. Say a little bit more about uh, mom and dad giving you sort of that encouragement or that nudge toward university. I mean, was that coming from some place from dad's footballing career, or just a value for the family, or or where was that coming from? Because a, a lot of like back in those days, right? A lot of parents, when you when you have that aspiration of football and and the potential of careers, sometimes they go all in on that, and it's university kind of gets put to the side. Well, I think I think my, obviously my my father was realistic, and because obviously he's in the game, so he probably looked at me and and thought, yeah, I'm a half decent goalkeeper. I had some really good moments, but he probably, if he if you know if he was honest, would would be going. Look, I don't think my son is gonna is gonna make it to the top levels and is gonna gonna mm-hmm. make a lot of money out the game. So, and there are so many pitfalls in you know in terms of not making it, um, and then not having an education and, and being late in, in your development there, or, or getting an injury and, and you know your career being over before it's it started. So, he was pretty adamant about the university piece and. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough that after college, I got the opportunity, you know, to go in and play and and, and become a professional. But again, it was it was only ever going to be just to to enjoy it at a at a level and, and chase my dream a little bit. It was never going to be, you know, to the major league level or the or the or the 
you know, the top premiership or championship level. So Adam, what brought you eventually to the US then? I had, um, I'd been in Asia for a period of time, Singapore and Malaysia, playing a little bit over there. I'd, um, I'd been in the States before the MLS, in the old APSL days. And mm, the, sure. um, there was a team called, the, the, the Galaxy had originally been called the LA Salsa. I don't know if you remember, if you remember that. And their second team, Ian Foyer was the, the, the goalkeeper for the first team. Sure. And their second team was called the Co- Cobras and a coach called Octavio Zambrano was coaching the, the Cobras and, and he ended up becoming the Metro Stars coach at one at one time. But I, I played I played for the Cobras and then I I got a chance to to come back to a club in England and it's the only time in my career where my heart wasn't really in it. My heart had always been in football hmm. and I'd always had a, a pretty decent attitude when it came to applying myself to what I was doing. But I came back because it was an opportunity to go to Huddersfield Town, it was actually. Um, and... Uh, my heart really wasn't in it and I didn't I played a couple of reserve games for them I remember playing against Newcastle and just not having a great game and thought that this is this is not not going to go well so I got a job I got a job in financial services a really good job actually I was pensions life insurance and investments and I went back into the non-league circuit again so I, I worked for four years in the final financial services industry and I would help a lot of footballers actually with with their investments and and and, and mortgages and things like that. And uh, I I was playing part time, but then I got the chance to to go to the states, and I packed everything in, and um, sold my house and gave back my company car. And my dad thought it was absolutely crazy mm. to go and sign a very minuscule contract at Long Island Rough Riders in in the A League. Um, and I don't regret it because, you know, that's that brought me back to the States. I think it was 1999. My mm-hmm. mother had remarried uh, and she was living in California. Um, and um, I then went from Long Island to, to Wilmington Hammerheads. We, we, won a, we won the championship with Long Island. And then we won the championship with Wilmington Hammerheads as well, which was great. Um, you know, for most of my career, I would say I, I was a, a backup. But when, when I was at Wilmington I did I did play a lot of games contributed to a lot to that to that winning season and then that's how I came back to being in the States and got an injury at the age of 29 uh sorry the age of 32 playing for Wilmington and 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 went into coaching from there at that club and that's how I started my my path in coaching say say more about that I mean was it what what kind of injury was it, and 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 was it the kind of injury where you're like, all right, yep, um, this is this is the end for me. I didn't really know what it was. I had plans to uh, play till I was thirty five. I was really enjoying living in in Wilmington. It's a wonderful town. Uh, you know, the club were great. They gave me a little one bedroom apartment, and you know, I did some coaching on the side. I was playing. I I, I really really enjoyed it there still in contact with many people from from that club to this day um but we had a pre-season game in and i think it was the second year that i was there and i came off the field i had like a sharp pain in my back and i didn't really know what it was so i went through several weeks maybe even months of just trying to figure out what this was it got worse it developed it's like you know you, you, your foot wasn't working properly and things like mm-hmm. that and it just turned out in the end after 
after getting MRIs, finally, you know, convincing the club to, to get me an MRI and what have you, we saw a herniated disc. So had the choice of, of it wasn't ruptured really, it was just bulging. So it was a choice of um, having some surgery or just trying to, you know, deal with it through um, manipulation and, and, and um, you know, treatments. And, and, and I went that route and, uh, and I got better from it. But I was never really able to play again after that because any time I, you know, had impact, it would it would flare up again and um, became very very painful. So that just kind of made me go right. I'm going to focus on the coaching, and um, I hadn't really had uh, God in my life so much. I mean, we always believed in God as a family, but um, you know, there wasn't a a big place in, in my career as a player. And I, if I think, think if I'd had God in my life as well, I know that if I'd had God really at front and center, when I was a player, I think I would have achieved more as, as a player, but there were a couple of uh, significant people. One, there was um, the Etienne brothers at Long Island who were pastors uh, that started to plant seeds with me. And then there were a couple of uh, brothers at Wilming. Wilmington as well, the Johnson brothers, Jeff and Joey Johnson, and they, they weren't pastors, but they they continued to plant some seeds. And um, after I knew I wasn't going to play anymore, I you know started to develop my relationship with with Christ, and and I believe through Him I was able to achieve far more as a coach than I was able to as a player because simply I didn't have Him in my life at that time. Mm. Mm. Well, we're going to press pause right there on the interview. A poignant moment as Adam comes to the realization that, yeah, without Jesus, it was a struggle. And we're going to hear more from Adam next week. So I want to encourage you, join us again. We're going to get into part two and learn more about uh, Adam's coaching pathway and some of the different things that he's enjoyed as a coach, some of the highs, the lows. And join us again. Hey, wherever you can, wherever you listen to The Touchline, would you please rate us and write a review? That really helps us. Helps us spread the word and helps us bringing great content here on faith, family, and football. And join us again next week. Same time, same place, same channel. This is Rep. Brad coming to you from the Touchline. <laughs>